This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. A major car maker and a world-famous consumer electronics company are teaming up to build electric vehicles. And you could see the results of that effort soon. We'll have the details. Meanwhile, Stellantis, the global conglomerate that builds Jeep, Ram, Dodge, and Chrysler vehicles, has unveiled its plans for success in the EV age. And some of its goals are eye-opening, to say the least. Much more on that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about something we are both passionate about, namely cars. We enjoy sharing our thoughts with you and with each other. At least I enjoy sharing my thoughts with Chris. I'm not sure whether he enjoys hearing my thoughts, but he's got to, he's got to do that. It's part of the gig. Chris, uh, I guess you're a little tired from uh, having that new puppy around the house, huh? Well, we are losing sleep. But we have a brand new puppy in the house, so uh, that's a little bit of a, a challenge. But we're, it's hopefully nearing the end of winter when uh, everything turns a little brown as the snow melts. But I think that's a good trade-off because I think it's a precursor to uh, everything turning green again. So uh, how are things on your side of the country, Jack? Things are just fine. Uh, we had a little bit of rain uh, you know, the last couple of days. I mean, a little bit. Uh, nothing that you would ever even notice probably in Maine, but... Uh, you know, gets headlines here, and so that's a good thing, and uh, we've been having a good time. So uh, weather's fine, interesting cars that we've driven, and we have an interesting special guest, too. Our special guest is Jason Turnbull. He is the Ford F-150 Lightning Marketing Manager, and of course the Ford F-150 Lightning is their battery electric pickup truck. Uh, you know, they're coming on steam as thick as salmon during spawning season, right? I guess you have some of that in Maine. And uh, Ford has taken an early lead, at least I think they have, so we'll talk with Jason Turnbull about that. And in the road test segment, Chris, what will you be describing for us this week? I drove the 2022 Nissan Sentra, and I think if you're looking for a value, I will give you a preview that I think this might be a good step down that road. And I had a, a very similar vehicle in a lot of ways, although I had the quote-unquote sporty edition of the Toyota Corolla, the Apex. We'll give you our verdict on that coming up. Before we do that, we'll tell you all about what Jeep and Ram are preparing to do next. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie right back with you. And it's news time. And wow, do we have some news for you. What Stellantis is planning to do. And Stellantis might not be a name that you're familiar with. They don't advertise it much here in the United States, but it is the holding company that owns Jeep and Dodge and Chrysler and Fiat and a bunch of other companies, a bunch of other car companies out there, Alfa Romeo among them. And uh, in the overall scheme of global car companies, they're not that big and thus they are always, uh, you know, fighting hard. And they have a, a uh, new, I guess, um, 
It's more than a plan. It's kind of an edict uh, of what they're going to do going forward. And I think it's fascinating. And I think it's, it's worth noting because it's going to have some implications about the kind of cars you're going to see from these uh, fabled brands here in the United States. One of the things they uh, plan to do is be carbon net zero by 2038, uh, having a 50% reduction in carbon emissions by 2030, which is just around the corner. That might not mean a ton to you, but this probably will. As part of that, they want to have 100% of their sales in Europe and 50% of their sales in the United States be battery electric vehicles. And I'm not talking about uh, hybrids or semi-electrified vehicles. They're saying battery electric vehicles by the end of this decade. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, if you consider the other vehicles that Stellantis brands are making, so Dodge, I mean, <laughs> Hellcat engines into everything they could possibly fit it in. So this is a big a big change in attitude or at least public perception, I think, for some of these brands. Uh, for Jeep, I think it's a great thing. You know, the, the, the EV that they tested, or I'm sorry, that they teased during this announcement, the little yellow crossover, uh, I think it looks great. Uh, you know, the EV powertrain lends itself well to off-roading, I think, with with great torque. So they'll, they'll do just fine. And some of the other things that they've talked about, you know, uh, Dodge will do a, a muscle car, uh, a fully electric muscle car. We saw the Chrysler airflow concept. So I'm excited. I'm always rooting for Stellantis. You know, they've, they've been through so many different hands and names over the past, you know, couple, three decades or so. It's, it'll be great to see them succeed. Yeah, I am rooting for them too. And I do like the looks of this new Jeep. It's interesting that, uh, Electricity is great for off-roading, I guess, until you go maybe three or four days in the woods, <laughs> and then you go, hmm, do I plug this into a tree, or what happens here? Uh, I, I don't know what happens if you're overlanding, I, I guess. And I, one could say they're probably behind the curve a little bit with their electric pickup truck. We're going to see tons of those. Heck, I've been writing about tons of those, and uh, their pickup truck will arrive in 2024, so uh, that's none too soon. Maybe maybe they'll avoid the big fallout uh, when uh, things come along. Uh, they expect to have more than 25 all-new battery electric vehicles uh, in the next, uh, well, within the next decade. And, you know, that's a stout plan. I mean, they're uh, throwing a lot at this electric thing, and... Uh, I just wonder if the market's there. What do you think about that, Chris? I think the market's there. I think, you know, you've seen it with Ford and Volkswagen and, and a lot of other automakers have done this. They've partnered with charging companies to provide as, as seamless a transition from the gas world into the electric world as possible uh, to give free charging and to help map to chargers and, and all sorts of things. I mean, the reality is, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, unless you have a charger at home or ready access to one, owning an EV can be a real pain. So, uh, I think they've got some, the market itself has some challenges, not not to mention just Stellantis itself. Yeah, I don't think it's Stellantis's challenge nearly as much as it is the market's challenge, and I just don't see how we're going to get close to fifty percent penetration of electrics uh, in just six seven years' time. I it just doesn't make sense to me with four percent penetration now, and that's being optimistic uh, about the electric vehicle penetration. I don't see it going up to fifty percent. Uh, even if it's just 50% for some of the manufacturers. I think that's a very tall order. And I think there's just a lot of smoke being blown around here. I think I agree. You know, I think it's also the, a lot of these plans or these roadmaps are being laid out uh, in a vacuum. I don't say in a vacuum. There's, these are multinational corporations. But uh, 
they're they're being laid out without regard to regulatory hurdles, consumer regards. You know, these things are EVs. As much as they've come along in the past few years, they're still way more expensive or much more expensive in in many ways than gas vehicles are, at least up front. So uh, there are some hurdles to overcome. And speaking of the volume of EVs that Stellantis plans to make, you know, I, I hope, and this is not based on any knowledge. This is just me saying that I hope. Uh, that they don't end up making, you know, 25 electric crossovers based, you know, roughly on the same platform. I, you know, I think we're going to see some four wheelers and things like that too. But uh, I think variety is going to be the spice that helps them get some traction if, if they do at all. Yeah, I think you're being kind, actually, because I think there's <laughs> there's just a lot of virtue signaling here. I think, and, and I'm not sing- singling out Stellantis. They're just uh, one of many who are uh, putting this out there, and I think it's the politically correct thing, uh, apparently, to do. But uh, I don't think it's grounded in much reality. I just don't <laughs> don't see the market changing that radically unless there are edicts from government, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen, that are going to require that. I mean, we're certainly seeing a, a lot of pushback now just about high fuel prices, and which kind of brings us to the next story, too. Uh, the question being... Will high gas prices, and and we're looking at gas prices here in Southern California of over $6 at some places, and, and maybe even $7 for premium. It's crazy gas prices. The question is, will this push people into electric vehicles? And some people say yes, other people say no, and I guess it's, it's partly how you read the data. Here, let me quote some data, and then I'd like you to comment on it, Chris. I mean, uh, According to some data from Auto Pacific Research, and I know those people quite well, I actually know the the spokesperson for them, Ed Kim, very, very well, too. They said that U.S. motorists' intention to buy a battery electric vehicle in 2019, so three years ago, was 3%. 3% said their intention was to buy a battery electric. And now that has risen to 10% in January. So that's, that's a big increase, obviously. Of course, 10% isn't 50%, is it? <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I think 10% is really optimistic. I'm, uh, but maybe I'm being incredibly pessimistic about EVs. I'd like to hear your opinion, Chris. I think there are a lot of things that have to kind of happen here before EVs become a viable solution. First of all, uh, people do have a short memory, so they are likely to forget that gas prices come back down again or go back up again and those sorts of things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as I mentioned just a moment ago, EVs are still more expensive up front. So uh, while you may save some money at the pump, that extra hit at, up front is going to be – people are going to feel that because money is real and, and it matters. Uh, and the third thing is still infrastructure. You know, I think that – and education, I guess I'll go ahead and throw that in there too. Uh, the average driver, average consumer – uh, especially, you know, in, in areas like uh, more rural areas, the Midwest here in Maine, for that matter, uh, they're kind of scared of EVs. And for good reason, you know, the, the, there's not a, a lot of chargers in, in places to take care of them around here. So uh, I think there it's not going to be the shift that some people believe that it is. I also don't think that it's going to drive people to buy a ton of small gas powered cars either. I think, like I said, people's memories are kind of short. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether that happens. That has been uh, typically what we would see when when fuel prices go up is people buy compact and smaller smaller vehicles. There's a there's a rush to those small cars, four cylinder cars uh, in the old time parlance. I pretty much everything's four cylinders these days, even luxury cars. Uh, many of them have four cylinder engines. But uh, going to that, certainly there are going to be more EVs coming into the marketplace. But I don't know that uh, this market is going to uh, go as great guns as 
as some expected to. And again, this is barring some kind of major thing. I, I think one of the things that stands against it is strict economics. If you look at the economics of buying a car rationally, and I'm not saying that everybody does. In fact, many people absolutely don't. <laughs> I certainly uh, don't. Yeah. Well, I, you know, buying an electric car to save money is just not going to happen. It's just not going to work for you unless you buy an electric vehicle that's way different than the gasoline vehicle you have. You buy a, a small electric vehicle versus a, a big three-row SUV or something like that that you have in your fleet now. But on a uh, equivalent vehicle basis, you're always going to pay more for an electric vehicle. Yeah, and we also you know, have to remember that this is taking place in the middle of a, a global uh, microchip shortage that is still uh, impacting vehicle production and sales. Yeah, not to mention a European war, right? Uh, well, one story <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to talk about quick, at least quickly was the fact that Honda and Sony are getting together to build electric cars, and we're liable to see something with a Honda and Sony badge on it as soon as 2025. I think it's great for both of them. You know, uh, Sony doesn't have any car hardware building experience. They build PlayStations and, and very good other electronics. And Honda, uh, for as, as awesome as they are at building uh, vehicles, has sometimes struggled with infotainment and some other some other tech, you know, with, with refinement. So I think it's a match made in heaven for the two of them, assuming they can get it off the ground and moving. I think th these are two companies that you might say are past their prime and maybe Maybe uh, joining together uh, will rejuvenate both of them, and I'd like to see that happen. And when we come back, we will be road testing some pretty darn cool vehicles. Well, I guess it depends on your definition of cool. But we're going to be road testing the uh, Nissan Sentra and the Toyota Corolla. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. Jack B. Chris Teague with you, and we're so glad you're with us. We really do appreciate you listening to America on the Road. And we have some interesting vehicles to talk with you about. Maybe they're not most uh, the most exciting vehicles of all time. Certainly the Nissan Sentra, not necessarily the most exciting, nor the Toyota Corolla, but certainly bedrock vehicles. And Chris, you were driving the Nissan Sentra. Tell us about that vehicle. I was driving the Nissan Sentra. I actually owned a Nissan Sentra in high school. However, it was nowhere near uh, as well equipped as this one was. But uh, the 2022 uh, Sentra comes in three different trims. It starts out at the, with the S model. It's around 20000 uh, just shy of $21,000. Uh, the mid-range SV trim is $21,695. And then I tested the top SR trim. Uh, this starts at around $23,000. I had uh, my tester had the Midnight Edition package, which added uh, some dark trim and special wheels and some other options. And it was about $25,000 after everything was said and done, uh, which today in today's car world is uh, a pretty much a screaming deal if you want to <laughs> think of it that way. Uh, but every Sentra gets a two-liter four-cylinder engine. It's 149 horsepower through a continuously variable automatic transmission to the front wheels. And Jack, we've talked a lot about CVTs. We talked about Hondas uh, a few weeks ago, and I want to get your opinion on Nissans and, and how you think they might compare uh, to the CVTs that we see in you know Hondas and those vehicles. Well, Nissan's been doing CVTs for a long time, and they took a lot of flack early on for their CVTs. And I, I think they have improved them markedly over time. And I think right now uh, they're not nearly as troublesome, and I think they're much more troublesome to enthusiast drivers uh, than they are to the, the typical, uh, certainly the typical Sentra buyer these days. I think th those kind of buyers will find them to be just, just fine. 
Yeah, for a commuter, I think it, it does, as you say, just fine. Uh, one thing that I did notice, and I think this is something that that's kind of uh, endemic to the transmissions in, in most vehicles, is that it, it does allow more engine noise. There's a little bit of a wailing uh, sound when you're under heavy throttle. Uh, it kind of hits a certain RPM and sticks there, and the engine just you know just screams as you're 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 accelerating heavily. Uh, but in the Sentra, you know, unless you're taking it to an autocross event, which it isn't really in its bones to do that, uh, you might not hear that noise very often, especially commuting around town. Uh, so the car has independent rear suspension. Uh, my car had 18-inch wheels. Uh, did just fine over the broken pavement. We have a lot of potholes right now. The plows have torn up the road. Um, it did just fine. It's not as cushy as you know uh, an E-Class Mercedes or anything with an adaptive suspension, but uh, it does fine. There is some noise that comes into the cabin. It's a small car. The 18-inch wheels, the low-profile tires uh, do let in a lot of road noise. Uh, that does kind of interview with, interfere with the stereo, depending on how loud you have it, uh, but nothing to be uh, disruptive to conversation or anything like that. So uh, I just want to note that you know that you can hear it, but it's not super disruptive. Uh, inside, the front seats are, are very padded, very well padded and comfortable. There's plenty of room for me at six feet tall. Uh, I did run into some issues with my daughter in the back seat uh, in her booster seat. She's nine now. She's uh, quite tall for her age. Uh, and she had me scooting my seat up uh, to my knees to where, the point where my de- my knees were touching the dash. So uh, a little bit touchy there, but I think, you know, you can manage it unless you have uh, tall children, which some of us do, especially if they're they're older like Jack's kids in college. Uh, an 8-inch touchscreen is standard. It runs uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. Uh, all the safety features are here that you could ever want. So I have blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alerts. Um, forward collision warning, lane keeping assist. Uh, all in all, I think, you know, this is a very value forward package. As you mentioned earlier, Jack, you know, the, the CVT transmission suits it well because it's not something people are going to want to drive hard. Uh, the gas mileage is great. So it gets up to 30 mi- 39 miles per gallon on the highway. So uh, all around, if you take it for what it is as, you know, uh, a pretty basic mode of transportation with some great options on top of it, I think you'll be very happy with it. Yeah, I think you will be too. I think it's it's a good choice. There are plenty of good choices actually in that uh, that segment, uh, that uh, small, that compact sedan segment, and uh, certainly uh, the uh, Sentra is one of them. I don't know if it's the best one, but it's certainly <laughs> one of them. Yeah, I think the packaging here is is important too, right? So they've they've done such a great job with the, the standard features, uh, and then at the top end, you know, with the pricing, the way it lands. But if you take a look at, you know, we're going to talk about the Corolla with you in just a minute, and the Honda Civic, and the Hyundai uh, Elantra, and the Hyundai Sonata on the larger side. All those cars have the same sort of similar, the similar uh, standard safety features and standard technology and infotainment features. So uh, that's not really a differentiating factor anymore, which I think is uh, a sad thing for the Sentra, but uh, it is well equipped. Yes, it is. And uh, there's a lot to like about the Centron. It's It's been a stalwart for a long time, so uh, I think it will continue to do so, even as that whole segment kind of declines, I think, in size. It's still an important segment out there. And I was driving another vehicle in that important segment, uh, as Chris pointed out, the Toyota Corolla. I was driving the quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes here in, in front of the microphone, the Apex version. It, like the Sentra you had, Chris, had a blackout treatment. I mean, everybody loves this. Apparently, they love it because it's all over the place. There's a blackout treatment on darn near everything, and it is on this Apex, Apex version of the Corolla, which, as I say, is the sportier version, and uh, sporty might be more in looks than in, in feel, frankly. I think uh, Toyota has been had it up to here with 
uh, Honda Civic doing so well with enthusiast drivers and just getting the excitement that maybe the Corolla doesn't have. So they've kind of branched out to uh, get sportier. And uh, while this is sportier, I don't know that it's particularly sporty. And the, the problem here, I think, is the engine. It has the up-level 2-liter engine, but the up-level 2-liter engine is 169 horsepower, which is certainly better than the base engine. The base engine is 139 horsepower, so, you know, 30 more horsepower is great. But it doesn't match the horsepower of, say, a, a Honda Civic Si. And so that's a big shortfall because that's a, a vehicle that you're liable to compare that vehicle with. If you were looking at a sporty uh, compact sedan, Chris, which is the one you would take a look at? I'm all in on the Honda Civic Si. I think that they've done enough to bring down some of those performance features from the Type R to make it uh, compelling and not just a sort of uh, hotted up, quote unquote, now I'm doing air quotes, uh, version of a, an everyday uh, commuter car. Well, I'm not here to slug it out with the Corolla because it is a very, very good car and I enjoy driving it. It's just not as sporty as uh, perhaps one would hope. Uh, the Corolla hatchback also gets the 169 horsepower four-cylinder engine. Uh, you can get it with a manual transmission. It'll cost you an extra $700 versus the CVT to uh, get that uh, manual transmission, which I think is, is interesting. It has, it's an intelligent manual transmission in that it has rev matching control, which I like, and it also has hill holder, so you don't <laughs> slide down a hill uh, as you uh, transition you know, into the clutch and, and try and make that happen. So that's, a, that's good stuff. Uh, it's also interesting to travel the uh, California freeways in a manual transmission car. <laughs> it's not something that I, I've done that often recently, not because I don't want to, but be, because so few vehicles now have manual transmissions. It's just not happening out there. One of the good things about the Apex is it does get uh, good fuel economy. Uh, if you got it with the CVT, you'd get uh, 31 miles per gallon in the city, 38 on the highway. It'll drop down just a mile or two per gallon uh, with the manual transmission. That's uh, how things go these days. I, I'm old enough to remember when manual transmission cars got much better fuel economy than those with automatic transmissions, but that is not the, the case anymore. The Corolla does have a good-looking interior, high-quality materials. It's not super luxurious, of course, and there's no real wood trim or anything like that, but it, it certainly is attractive. Rear seat legroom isn't exactly what the competition has, but uh, quite comfortable and the front seat very very comfortable with uh, good storage good good uh, center console and, and that kind of stuff if you really want to have cargo space so usable cargo space I would suggest getting the hatchback which you can't get in an apex edition uh, it has 17.8 cubic feet of a room behind the rear seat which is much larger than the trunk uh, although the trunk in the in the uh, Corolla was quite big, I put all my baseball equipment back there, and I had plenty of room. I did an airport run and picked up my wife and uh, a friend of hers, and and all their luggage, and that fit in very nicely. So that worked out. And I would say too that Toyota has closed the gap on infotainment. They they had had some major shortfalls. They really resisted uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and stayed away from that for a long time. But now this vehicle has both of those plus uh, Amazon Alexa compatibility. The vehicles with uh, the LE trim and above have an 8-inch touchscreen. 
And you can get a JBL audio system with nine speakers, so that is available. What's your take overall on how Toyota has been doing with uh, with their infotainment systems recently, Chris? I do agree with you that they've made progress. I think that they, uh, so they they told me a while ago, one of their, their PR people told me a long time ago that they resisted because of, of customer privacy moving to Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. Uh, and then the dam broke and they absolutely had to do it, so they just started building it into their uh, existing systems. He didn't tell me this part, but you know, you can kind of see where things have gone. And, and I think that they've had time to work out the kinks now and it, it's getting a lot better. The latest uh, systems in the Corolla that you mentioned, the, the systems in the Tundra and I assume the new Sequoia when it lands uh, are all moving forward in a good way. So uh, I'm happy about it. You know, I'm a Toyota fanboy, so uh, I'm, I'm always happy to see progress made. Yeah, I, I like a lot of things about the Corolla. I like many things about the Corolla Apex specifically. I like the fact that you can get a manual transmission if you want that. I wish it had more horsepower. For example, the the uh, Hyundai Elantra has a 201 horsepower N-line now out there, so significantly more horsepower uh, than the Corolla. And I, I guess that's not its strong suit, but it's certainly worth a look. And I think if you like the looks of this thing, uh, it'll certainly perform for you. So I think that's, that's how I feel about the uh, Corolla Apex. I agree with you. Well, it's nice of you to agree. I appreciate that. Uh, it happens rarely. I guess it happens every now and then, doesn't it? And when we come back, we will have our interview with Jason Turnbull. He is the Ford F-150 Lightning Marketing Manager. That, of course, is their battery electric pickup truck. Oh, we've talked about, about those recently. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack and with you at the Chicago Auto Show with Jason Turnbull, the marketing manager on the new Ford Lightning pickup truck. It's got to be an exciting day for you. This is, vehicle is about to come to market here. Uh, tell us how exciting it is for you. We're very excited. Demand has been through the roof, and we're finally months away from the first customer delivery, so we're laser-focused on, um, on the launch right now. To those few who don't know about Lightning, give our listeners the high hard ones about the, the vehicle. Yeah, so FMV Lightning, all electric. So that means it doesn't have a traditional engine. It has dual motors, one on each, each axle. It has a battery under the frame rails, so it has that EV range instead of a typical gasoline engine. The benefit of that is it's gonna be the fastest F-150 that we've ever made, zero to 60 in low, low four seconds. It'll still be able to do all the truck stuff from towing up to 10K, 10,000 pounds, and hauling up to 2,000 pounds. But because it's an EV, it's loaded with great technology as well. Let's go into acceleration, right? Let's go into that, you know, four second kind of zero to 60 time. Is that a byproduct of other things, of, of getting the capability you need, or is, was that something you were shooting for as well? I, we, we hear that about all the electric trucks. They're, super fast, super quick. But where does it come from? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's more of a byproduct. So because we have the instantaneous torque from the dual motors, EVs are, are typically fast. We have 775 pounds feet of torque, which is a lot. It's, it's massive, the most yeah. we've ever made in F-150. And then, and then combined with, we have independent rear suspension for the first time in one of our trucks. So it's fast from a get-go, but around turns, it actually drives like a like a like um, like a car as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, pretty interesting. And yet, you you know, a, a vehicle like that is going to have significantly more mass, right? It's just going to yeah. weigh more because of a battery. How much more does it weigh than the typical F-150, like the one we're sitting in, for example? Yeah, so on average, it's about 1,200 pounds more. Um, so our our curb weight for the F-150 Lightning will be, it'll range from a little over 6,000 pounds to so about 6,500 pounds. So it is more, but because of the torque because of the independent rear suspension and when you drive it you do not feel that weight at all mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what does that mean for capability you know you're hauling around more battery than you <laughs> you certainly would be with a gasoline engine at the same time uh there's other stuff that you don't have uh what's the trade-off like yes yeah, so the, there really isn't a trade-off so we have up to ten thousand pounds of towing up to two thousand pounds of payload and for majority of our customers that does the job and more for whatever that they need. And there's advantages, of course, to electric drive, right? I mean, I just wrote a piece about it uh, within the last couple of days, about how it really changes the way you you go about using a vehicle. One of the things, of course, is uh, home charging. Talk a bit about the advantages of home charging and what that does for a consumer. Yeah. So it's, it's a paradigm shift. It's an EV. We need to charge it. What's really cool is you don't need to go to gas station anymore. You have a home charging. You can charge it overnight. Anytime you leave your driveway, it's 100%. With that technology is we have something called Ford Intelligent Backup Power. So using our Ford wall box, while the vehicle is charging, if your house actually um, goes out of power, you can actually use your lightning, that giant that giant battery underneath, to basically power your house for days if um, if um, if not weeks as well. Really? That long? I, I wonder, you know, you see that, you know, that's a, a marketing thing. You're a marketing guy, right? You, you see that in the 30-second spot or something like that, and it's like, well, for how long? You know, yeah. that's that's the question. And I'm surprised it is that long. Really? Yeah, it's basic math. So we have a giant battery, and really when you, when you look at the average American home, kind of what they use, that's how we get that, that kind of figure right. on the bare minimum if you have a normal size home and you run ac you run all your appliances it will it will be a handful of days but if you're really trying to conserve power it literally can last weeks. i mean i'm amazed if you're running ac that it can go a couple of days because <laughs> ac is such a power suck it's, it's incredible but uh well getting back to the vehicle itself i mean that certainly is a is a plus what do you think of the the big pluses uh when it comes to having an electric like if you were to choose between a conventional vehicle, we're actually in a hybrid, but a con you know, conventional Ford F-150 or the F-150 Lightning, what are the pluses and minuses? Yeah, so it does all the, it does all the truck things th that you need to do, but because it doesn't have a, a traditional engine, up front, what are we going to do with the space? So we work really hard is what we call a mega power frunk. So it's the largest front trunk in, in, in the industry. So are you calling it a frunk? Do you officially call, call it a frunk? We call it the mega power frunk. Mega okay. because it's the largest. Power because it has a, um, it has export of power from it. And then frunk, mm. obviously the front trunk. And because it's an EV, it has that versatility. So you almost get your second row back from all that little stuff that you've been kind of basically keeping in there. So really no trade-offs, well, there's a range that you have to deal with, right? So yeah. talk a bit, of, uh, range is certainly a big question when people talk about EVs. Tell, tell us yeah, about so that. Yeah, so we say we can't be physics. So similar to a <laughs> diesel or a gas engine or an EV, the more you tow, that will impact fuel economy or basically range. For EVs, it's a little different. One is it takes a little longer to charge on a road trip, so that heavyweight towing will impact. And then also, 
towing where it's it's more about the time under load and the heat that, that, that impacts versus let's say the 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 velocity for gas the key thing um, for us though is again i said we can't be physics but what we can do is give you the tools to make informed decisions so what we have is something called intelligent range so what that is is before you leave the driveway it will understand the weather outside the route that you're taking is it city is it highway the amount of of weight in um in your trailer as well as personalize how you've been driving the vehicle and give you a real world range because what we don't want end up happening is you'd leave your driveway and all of a sudden you get on the highway and your range drops significantly. We want to tell you up front of what that range is and we're using the cloud um, basically to do that. Do you expect that the Lightning will be a tow vehicle for a significant portion of, of its buyers? So for, for some customers, you know, it can tow up to 10,000 pounds. So it, it can do the job. But what we see is it will be a lighter usage kind of customer. We have other choices from gas and diesel. If you're going to tow heavy weight frequently, long distances, we still have other basic choices in our um, in our lineup. I'm really curious, and, and you're the right guy to ask as the marketing guy on this. Who is the buyer for the Lightning truck? And who is the buyer, uh, you know, even on a broader base for all the electric pickup trucks? Because heaven knows, you know, you turn around and there's another electric pickup truck being introduced. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so this is the great part. It's going to appeal to a wide customer base. When we were developing it, we needed to check it's built for tough. It goes through all the same durability. It will be able to do those truck things. So it will attract those truck customers that have always wanted to try an EV and, and now that we have this great product. But, but at the same time is what we're recognizing is there's a ton of new to Ford, new to truck customers are now are looking at the Lightning. We know out of our reservation data, 76% are new to Ford. So we are attracting those customers. Yeah, that's that an incredible number. Yeah. yeah, that's an incredible number. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, uh, and you probably have chapter and verse on this, that a significant percentage are new to truck or new to full-size truck too, right? I mean, that they wouldn't consider a full-size truck because it was too inefficient or, you know, too in your face or whatever it was. I mean, talk a bit about that. Yeah. So of our reservation holders, 90% are new to EV and over half of them don't have a truck in the household. So they are new to truck customers. So it's not, be, and that's kind of interesting to me too, that um, it's not people who have an EP, I'm sorry, an EV in the driveway and need a truck, but it's somebody who is new to both of those kind of yeah, things. There's right? a huge demand and customer pool that have been on the fence for EVs and, and trucks in general. And we're kind of merging those two together. And we really think this is gonna track that wide that wide bandwidth of customers. Yeah, I mean, you have certainly gotten a lot of attention with the vehicle already. I mean, the marketing campaign, all of that seems to be going really, really well. What can we look forward to as, that, as we go toward launch date? So we're extremely excited to finally get these into customer hands. We are months away from launch, and then our customers are actually going to take them home as they drive them day to day. The number one thing is we're excited. It's going to do all the things they expect it to, but it's going to put a smile to our customers' faces when they step on the gas for the first time. But it's not really gas, is it? They're stepping on the accelerator, it's a, accelerator right? yeah. <laughs> for the first time. It's really exciting. I mean, uh, are you driving one day to day? What's, what's your experience with it? So with I've the been driving one day to day. You know, we've been learning from it, and I'm definitely excited that I will be driving a Lightning for the longer term. As a guy who's driving one day to day, um, 
what uh, is uh, your most memorable experience about it? I mean, it doesn't have to be a specific experience, but what is memorable about it or interesting about it? So I think the most interesting thing is it can kind of camouflage. It looks like a pickup. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, you're driving. As soon as you plug it into a charging station, people people flock because they know exactly what it is and they want to ask you all a all bunch of questions. So it's such a interesting juxtaposition to see a pickup truck at an EV charging basically station as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the antithesis yeah. of, uh, of what uh, a full-size pickup truck is normally, isn't it? And what do they say? What do they ask you? They ask, can I see the frunk? <laughs> Mega power frunk? How much does it tow? You know, I heard about this technology. Is that true? And so, like I said, from the customer, it can be what the technology is. Is it durable enough? Can it meet my needs? So it's a wide bandwidth. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit just about numbers, about horsepower, mm -hmm. torque, you know, overall towing. You've yep. mentioned that a little bit, but give us yeah, some, some so number stuff. The extended range battery is 563 horsepower and 775 pounds-feet of torque. Zero to 60 in low four, four seconds. As I mentioned before, it hauls up to 2,000 pounds and tows up to 10,000 um, basically trailer as well. Yeah, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. And typical range? So we're targeting an EPA range of 300 miles. And that's the key thing is, you know, depending on your usage, we know, you know, the real world will, will, will be impacted by your driving. So that intelligent range technology that we have is so critical, especially these new to Ford, new to EV customers for the first time are driving an F-150 Lightning. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be kind of a big responsibility, right, to be marketing this thing and, and setting the expectations right uh, for the customer so that they're not disappointed by what they get. Yeah, so FMVD is a American icon. We're electrifying that. So we do not take it lightly. So we are thinking post-purchase. So it's one thing to sell the Lightning. It's another thing to make sure that this it's a seamless experience to get them the right charging wall box, insulation, making sure they're well-educated around the technology and also the product as well. I mean, it's important that they have that, you know, that they're, they're thinking about home charging, that they get that set up correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so much a better experience, I think, when you're home charging than when you're you know, trying to <laughs> figure out how to do that uh, using public charging. It, it's night and day, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we know over 80% of our customers will home charge, but um, basically, sorry, 80% of all charging is done at home. Um, on the road trips, obviously, you need to figure out the DC fast charging. So home charging is is step one. And then we have the largest charging network called our Blue Oval Ford Network. And we work with all the partners, Electrify America, ChargePoint, and we want to make it as seamless as possible for our customers. Well, terrific. I'm, I'm so excited for you. Really cool. I can't wait to drive this vehicle. It's one of the few electric trucks I have not driven yet. So I've got to do that because I've been in some of the others. But uh, Jason Turnbull, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Red with you and it's question and answer time as we sum up the show for this week and we, we love to take your listener questions. It's easy to reach us at America on the Road. Just send your questions to editor at drivingtoday.com. That's editor at drivingtoday.com. And we'll ask your question on an upcoming show. And, and here's a question for Chris Teague. This is from Peter. He's in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. With gas prices so high, are there things I can do to get more fuel mileage from my current car? Or should I just forget about that and buy a hybrid or an electric car? 
I think if you want to try to save fuel or conserve fuel in your gas vehicle, you have a few things that you can do. The first is to drive as smoothly as possible. That means avoid, as my grandmother who taught me how to drive would say, jackrabbit starts uh, and then avoid, you know, digging into the brakes. And should and I resent to... that, Chris? That you're you're using my name like that? Ah, oh. <laughs> uh, my first car was a 1971 Oldsmobile, and gas was I think 70, 70 something cents a gallon at that point in time. So things are a lot different now. So driving, you know, within the the limits of the speed limit is a good idea too. Uh, and then, you know, if you really want to be hypermodeling, you could turn off your electrical components in your car, your stereo, your, your climate controls and those sorts of things. Uh, but it really comes down to, to driving style. So, uh, try to drive as smoothly and as carefully as possible and avoid quickly accelerating. And, and that's probably about as good as you can do. Yeah. And I would say this, Chris, you can leave your radio on. That's going to have no effect pretty much whatsoever, <laughs> unless you're, I, I don't know what it would do. Uh, you know, it's just running off the battery and the battery is going to stay charged. So it's not going to take any more gas to keep that battery charged. Here are some things you could do though. You could make sure that you have the proper inflation pressure in your tires. A lot of people pay no attention to their tires whatsoever. And if you're down several pounds, not, not only is it costing you in fuel economy, but it is also a, a potential safety hazard. You uh, could be eating up your tires and not getting the kind, uh, proper grip. Another thing you can do is make sure you have clean filters, especially the clean air filter. That's not hard to do, not expensive, so check that out. And then another, uh, maybe the, the biggest thing you can do is remove excess weight. So if you have your mother-in-law riding along with you a lot, you know, tell her to stay home. Uh, well, maybe not do that. But if you carry a bunch of junk in the trunk, then get some of that stuff out of there. You probably don't need to, to drive around with all that stuff. And uh, it'll save you uh, a little bit in gas, not a ton, uh, unless you're carrying around a ton. But those are some legitimate things you can do to uh, get better fuel economy. And as Chris says, drive smoothly, drive carefully, probably the biggest one. And that's our show for this week. Uh, Chris, it's always a blast to talk to you. Well, it's always a blast to be here, Jack, and always a blast to have everybody along. If you like what you heard and you want to listen more, please head to sportsmapradio.com and check us out on the Saturday morning schedule. There you can find recordings of our radio show as well as our original podcast on Apple and everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you join us. Thanks to our Sports Map Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. We do appreciate that. And most of all, we appreciate you being out there and listening to America on the road, listening to Chris and me uh, talk about cars. We enjoy doing it. And we only do it because you're around to uh, listen to us. So we appreciate that. And join us again next time right here for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, or just care about cars, go to DrivingToday.com. DrivingToday.com has a world of automotive information for you. It's all free. And it's the official automotive website of America on the Road, drivingtoday.com.